So I was driving down the 405 freeway. It was May of 2005. We had gone to California. We were renting this car. We're headed down the highway. And I all of a sudden feel the car starting to decelerate. The car's going slower, so I do what I thought some, maybe I had done something wrong, so I just kind of hit the pedal a little more. I floor it. Nothing happens. The car is still slowing down. And then I, you ever have this? Uh, it's what some people call a moment of clarity. Where you start thinking back like the last week or two or however long, and I start thinking to myself, have I put any gas in this car since I rented it a week and a half ago? And I realized that no, I hadn't. I looked at the gauge, and the needle was like below E. I was on like G. or I mean, I was so far past E, it was, it was ridiculous. And I realized I'm running out of gas on the freeway in Los Angeles, which, by the way, is very hazardous to your health, if you weren't aware. And so what I did is, uh, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Well, I see an exit coming up, and I thought, i got to get off the highway, or I'm really going to be stuck. So I just make a hard right turn, cut a few people off who shouted something at me, but I wasn't sure what they said. Uh, I get off the highway, and then I'm heading down this hill, because once again, there's some hills and stuff in California, unlike here. So I'm getting off the highway, I'm heading down this hill, and then just because God really likes me, the light turned green at the bottom of the hill, so I was able to pick up all that momentum that I got from coming down the hill, make that turn, now I'm still going. Oh, I forgot, have I mentioned that my wife is asleep in the passenger seat the whole time? I forgot to mention that. So anyway, my wife is asleep the whole time. I make the turn, and over in the distance, I see a gas station. So I make this turn. I'm still going, even though I'm totally out of gas. I'm going. I see the gas station. I make the turn and then realize, after I've committed myself to going to this gas station, that it's at the top of a hill. I get about, I don't know, one one-hundredth of the way there, and the car just kind of stalls out like this. So I have to figure out how I'm going to wake my wife up to tell her all that's happened in the last 45 seconds. So I kind of wake her up and I say, Care, um, bad news, we're out of gas. But it's okay. If you'll just get into the driver's seat and steer, uh, I'll get out and push. And so she says, okay. So she gets into the the driver's seat and, and and I get out and I start pushing. Now, have you ever had to get out and push? Is that not the most, like, demoralizing experience ever? Like, because then everybody slows down and has to look as though they've never done it. You know, little kids are like, Mommy, why is the man outside of his car pushing? You know, and it's just, it's so bad. Other people are looking like, why does that man's face so red? Look like it's going to explode. And, oh, you know, you got all that kind of stuff going. Well, anyway, I'm pushing my car up the hill, and I'm about ready to give out. I mean, there's only so far I can push a Dodge Charger up the hill, and so I'm pushing this car, and out of nowhere, these two, there was a Honda dealership, I was not driving a Honda, and these two guys jump from over the bushes in their, like, Honda gear, like they were salesmen, and they helped me push the car up the hill, and, um, I mean, they didn't even give me a sales pitch if I wanted a new car, like, hey, listen, you got this one, maybe you should go for a Honda, Uh, and so I'm kind of, I'm pushing this, and I'm like, I mean, to this day, I still believe that those two guys were angels that God sent, um, because if they were just here hanging out, I mean, nobody would ever think like that salesmen were, these car salesmen were connected to God. Uh, at least that's not what I think when I go in a car dealership. Uh, sorry. Um, anyway, so, but, but here's, here's the moral of the story that I think is really the important part. And that is, you know, coasting can really only get you so far. 
I mean, when you're out of gas, when you've got no fuel, I mean, coasting can get you a, a little bit of the ways. But the truth is, is that you're only going to get so far before you get stuck. Because at some point, it's going to take some fuel. At some point, it's going to take something to get you over the next hurdle, to get you to the place that you want to be in the place that God ultimately wants you to be. You see, I mean, think about this. I mean, there's no area of life where coasting is the answer that anybody's looking for, right? You don't go in to meet with your boss tomorrow. You know, tomorrow, Monday, you go in to your boss and your boss wants to know about your performance. And you say, sir, I attribute everything about my performance to the fact that I'm very committed to coasting at this job. I'm telling you, you may be looking for a new one. Uh, if, if, if that's if that's the case, the, the truth of the matter is, is that if you if you go, if you look at school and you say, I'm going to coast through school, there's a phrase that we use for people who coast through school. Right. It's called summer school for, for those for those folks. If you decide to co- coast in a relationship that leads to a breakup, if you decide to coast, listen, in your walk with God, it's not going to get you to the place that you want to go. And that's why this morning we're here and we're concluding a series that we call uh, we've been calling fuel. And the idea is this, is that there are certain factors that will ignite our faith. There are certain factors that will give us the fuel to get us where it is that God ultimately wants us to go. And what we've been doing is we've been studying through the book of 2 Timothy. Now, 2 Timothy is a book that is written by Paul the Apostle. Paul is this elder statesman of a Christian. And he's speaking to this young guy named Timothy, who's this young pastor, this, this young man, uh, who's... And what he's talking to him about is, here's what it takes to have a faith that goes the distance. Because no one wants to have the kind of faith that fails. No one wants to have the kind of faith that runs out of gas. No one wants to have the kind of faith that doesn't get us out of the valleys and into the higher places that we want to get to and that God ultimately wants to bring us to. And so Paul is writing from a very unique position. He's writing from a prison cell. He's writing knowing that his days are numbered. Because he's going to event, he's going to soon after this lose his life, lose his head for his faith in Jesus. And so he's sitting now and thinking and considering as he writes these last words to Timothy, who he considers a son in the faith. And as he's going to think about what he's going to say to him, he wants to talk to him about what creates a fueled kind of faith. And in fact, what he's going to talk about in this last section are really these four ingredients that lead to a fueled type of faith. So if you have your outline, we're going to begin. If you have your Bible, we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to start. Starting in verse 14, here's what it says. He says, but you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, what is he saying here in his ingredient number one that fuels our faith? Ingredient number one is this, that God's Word fuels my faith. God's Word fuels my faith. Paul's at the end of his life and he's thinking about what are these factors that are going to allow Timothy, going to allow us to now finish the race with a full tank. A full tank of faith with a faith that's going to get us where it is that we need to go. And the first thing that he says is this, what it's going to take is us being immersed in God's Word. 
You see, here's what happened. I was out of town uh, the last week and a half or so. I was teaching at some conferences and attending a conference, and then I was I took like three days off. Um, and here's what it is. We were staying at uh, we were in Orlando, so we were staying at Disney, and so we're staying at this resort we had never stayed at before uh, on the Disney property. And so we're going to go to dinner one night. And so I say to Carrie, I say, you know, we, there's the way that we normally go, which is from our room out to the lobby and then out to where we're going to go. But we're kind of it's kind of far, a, a far walk from where our room is to the lobby. And I said, you know, I have another way. I've been we've been at the resort what like 36 hours. I'm pretty sure I know exactly the ins and outs of this. So instead of going all the way to the lobby, if we will take this staircase, you know, this like service only staircase, and we'll go down, and then we kind of, and I kind of explained to her, she's like, well, whatever, you know, if you want to go that way, we'll go that way. And so what happens is this, is that, now, just, I want you to imagine the scene, if you have kids, you know, like, you got to take a million things with you everywhere that you go, so you got to take the little stroller, and you got to take the bag, and then there's always like six toys that the kids want to take with them, and then, so we got all that, and my wife is pregnant, and so we're headed now. So I take my wife down a flight of stairs, which may not be a wise thing. And then I've got a stroller, and then I've got my two-year-old daughter, and then I've got a bunch of toys that somehow we picked up along the way. And so we got all this stuff, right? And then I say we get outside, and we kind of blocked in. I said, well, see, we've got to cut through these bushes. So we cut through the uh, – I wish I was making this up. So we cut through these bushes. And I said, then we got to go around this other thing. I go around this other thing. I kid you not. After like 10 minutes, it leads to a brick wall. And I'm like, well, care, change of plans. We're going to go back through the courtway, through the bushes, up the stairs, back to our room where we started so that we can go out the lobby and back where it's the way that we knew. And now here's the part that really bothered me after we did all of that. And I think my wife was somewhat annoyed by it, too is that I was holding a map of the resort the whole time. I not, I'm not even kidding. Like, you know, they give you these little maps to tell you, like, here's where you are, here's where everything is. I was the entire time, and I didn't even realize it, I was holding a map of the resort that would have told me you're headed for a brick wall if you would just stop and look at it for, for a moment. And listen, the same thing is true for us. You know, you and I have God's Word, and I, I'm, I'm going to guess that most of us own a Bible, or if not, we have access to one, or if not, you can get a library card, which are still free, I'm pretty sure, and then you can check one out if, if you don't have one. And, and, and the thing is this, is that most of us have a Bible, and a lot of times that's what we do. We walk through life, and we make a bad turn, and we make a poor decision, and we run into a brick wall, and we say, man, I don't know how I got here, the whole while holding the Scriptures in our hands. And the, and the key for us is this, and this is the part that, that's, that's important, is that it's not just owning a Bible that helps us. It's not just carrying one around that helps us. In fact, I would even say this, it's not even just reading the Bible that helps us. In fact, it's really what's more important is not so much me reading the Bible, but allowing the Bible to read me. Allowing the Bible to read you. It's when we actually take what the Scriptures say and apply it to our lives, apply it to our situation, that it's then that we see the benefits of, of watching God work in our life, and we see God equip me. And that's what he says in that passage, that the, the Scriptures are given to us by your inspiration of God are profitable for all of these things, but the end result is this, is that we are complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I don't know if you, I, I want to walk through this for a second, which is all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally, that means that it's God-breathed, but, it, but it's profitable for doctrine. If you're taking note, doctrine is simply a word that means teaching, that it's profitable to teach us. 
It's also profitable for reproof. Now, what does reproof mean? That's not a word that we use all the time. Reproof is simply a word that means that it points out the error of our ways. And that's what God's word does. It'll point out the error of our ways if we're going in a way that that we shouldn't. It's also profitable for correction. It corrects us. That literally means to straighten us out. And that's literally in the Greek it means to straighten. So it, it straightens us out. And then... It's also profitable for instruction in righteousness. What does that mean in in real simple terms? It means it's how to teach us to live God's way. It's how to live God's way. And so think about this. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable to point out the error of our race. It's profitable to straighten us out. And it's profitable to show us how to live God's way so that we can be completed. So that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, but the catch is this. It only fuels our faith. It only fuels our life. It only directs us and impacts us if, is if we do what it says and apply it to our lives. You see, the same thing is true. I'm telling you, when I ran out of gas in California, I could have had 20 gallons of gas in the trunk, but it wouldn't have done me any good had I not taken it and applied it and, fill, and filled up the tank. That's what James says. He says this in James 1.22. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You see, that's one of the reasons why we'll announce, we'll show videos, we'll encourage you, we'll do whatever it takes to see you join one of our growth groups. It's that important to us. And, and, and just because of what the name implies, growth, spiritual growth is what happens in these groups. I mean, think about this. And this is something I, I think about this all the time. You know, today's February 1st. Can you believe that? That January of 09 is already gone as are most of our resolutions, right? You know what I mean? I was going to get as thin as a pinky, you know, my pinky, and then I saw a Twinkie and everything changed, you know? You know how that works? And uh, so all this stuff happens, and, yet, and here's the question. You know, who would have thought, like, if some of us were really intentional about what we wanted to do, February 1st came and we were very happy about what happened. And yet here's the thing that's so important, is that, you know, that March 1st is going to come, and April 1st, and May 1st, So I want you to think about where you want to be come May 1st. And say, well, man, where do you want to be in your relationship with God? Where do you want to be uh, as far as what God is doing in your life and how your life is changing and how you're growing in in your knowledge of God and knowing the Scriptures and all that? Where do you want to be come May 1st? Well, I can tell you this. If we do nothing, nothing is going to change. But if we actually do something, then we know that something is going to change by the very nature that we've done something different. And that's why I want to encourage you to say, you know what, if you'll invest in these eight to ten weeks and say, you know what, I'm going to get involved in a growth group and I'm going to just commit myself to saying, you know what, what's one night a week for the course of, you know, eight weeks? I mean, it's not really that much of an investment, but what I would consider is and what I would challenge you to think about is what would that compounded investment mean over the course of time? So if you say, like, well, come on, I mean, 90 minutes, does that really change me that much? Maybe. But maybe it's, you go and you're there for 90 minutes one week, the next week, the next week, the next week, and now over the course of 10, 11 uh, weeks, you know, 8, 10 weeks, now you come up, May 1st comes around, and you say, man, I've started thinking differently. I started acting differently. I started making different decisions based on what I heard, what I read, what I experienced. And that's why, friends, you'll see that in your program, we have a catalog for you of all of our different growth groups that are happening. And listen, these groups are going to happen. 
And people are going to grow. And it's going to be exciting. And the question that we each have to answer is, do I want to be one of them? And so that's why I want to encourage you to do and say, you know what? I do want to be part of it. I do want to make sure that I'm, that I'm there, that I'm part of it, that I'm growing on tons of different subjects every night of the week. Listen, make the decision and make the investment in yourself and in your relationship with God to be part of this. Because what you're going to find is, is that when you do it, you act on it, you're going to look back in a couple of months and you're going to say, man, this made all the difference for me. Well, Paul goes on as he looks and he th- it's not just God's word. That's one ingredient. But how about this? How about number two? God's mission fuels my faith. Here's what it says as he starts, we start uh, chapter four. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. God's mission fuels my faith. How does that work? Now, let me explain it this way, because there's one word that's really, really important in those five verses that we just read. And let me explain it this way. Uh, my daughter just turned two on Friday. And so we went to this place at Disney, and she was very, very exciting. She was very excited about it. And um, so it's a, it's, a fairly, it's a fairly nice place that we went to. And um, she, my daughter is two, and she's really doing the very best she can to communicate with us. And so she's using everything, every word that she has in her vocabulary, hand signals, screaming, you know, whatever. She's doing everything she can to communicate with us. And um, the other night, and and sometimes it's easier than others, but we're at dinner the other night, and uh, we ordered her this, she ordered, we ordered her a a pizza and uh, some grapes because she loves grapes. And so she starts grabbing these grapes. And so she turns to me and she says, Bobby, freshest, freshest. And she takes them, she takes the grapes, and she throws the grapes. Now, mind you, she has like two huge bowls of grapes. And so she just takes like each one. Papi, freshes. Now, mind you, this is a nice place, and I'm watching like servers that are walking by and like stepping on the grapes. And now it's going into the carpet. And I'm like, I am going to get kicked out of Disney World. I'm going to be the only one except for my... 11th grade economics teacher being who has been kicked out of Disney World, which I'll tell you that story some other time. Um, but here, So I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, and now I, I look around, and I, there's like grapes everywhere. And she keeps trying. She's like, Poppy, freshest. And I keep saying, like, Mama, what does freshest mean? And I'm like, does it mean precious? Has she been watching, like, the Lord of the Rings, you know? Oh, you know, my precious. You know, I mean, is that is that like is that what she's been doing? You know, I mean, Carrie is showing her movies she shouldn't. I don't, I don't know. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, what is she? What does she mean by freshness? And I'm like, does she mean freshness? Is she like saying, Poppy, these are really fresh grapes. You should try one. So I ate one, and then she threw one at me. And I'm like, it can't mean freshness. And then I think for a minute, and I say, Mama, do you mean? Practice? And she says, yeah, precious. And then it's like, then it all, you know, once again, moment of clarity, it all comes back to me that when her and I are going to go outside and we have like a ball or something we're going to play, and I'm like, come on, mama, let's go practice. And so we just go and we throw the ball. Well, I guess it just clicked that a grape kind of looks like a ball. 
And so she was kind of bored. She's like, Papi, let's practice. I'm throwing a grape. Throw one back. You know, and, and so, but I'm telling you, just the one word would have made such a difference in, in, this, in this exchange that we were having. Now, here's what Paul says. He says, preach the word. Now, what word is that? I mean, it's like, what, what, what could that mean? Well, once again, we've got to dig a little bit deeper to know what it is that Paul is talking about. He says, preach the word. The Greek word is logos, where we get our English word for logo. I mean, it's like, it's like the icon, the image, the thing that's most important, right? So what is, what is the logo? What, what, is, what is the logos? What is the word? What, what is he talking about? Well, you see it there in your notes, and this is something that's really, really important for Christians, for us to understand. Here's what it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, logos. And the word, Logos, was with God, and the word, Logos, was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and in that life was the light of men. The word, Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the Logos is Jesus himself. So what's, what's Paul saying? He says, listen, when you preach the word, you need to preach Jesus. Nothing else. Don't preach philosophy. Don't preach politics. Don't preach anything else. Preach Jesus. Because Paul experienced that. That was Paul's philosophy of ministry as to how he operated. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was among you, while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When I came to you in weakness, in, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling, my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see. What is God speaking to us? And I think we can look and say, well, yeah, Paul, Timothy was a preacher. And he's saying, you know, preach Jesus, don't preach other stuff. That's certainly an application. But there's an application for you and me. Because what he says is to do the work of an evangelist. That is, preach the message of Jesus to do the work of an evangelist, to share with people what Jesus has done in your life and in mine. Now, why is that so important? And here's the thing. It's because that's the way that we grow. You see, many times as Christians, we think, well, I share my faith because I'm supposed to, but we don't realize that that's actually an element of spiritual growth and development that happens in our lives. And, 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 I, and I recognize this, especially if you're a little newer uh, to the Bible and, you know, you're just coming to know Jesus, you know, is that when you hear the word evangelist, you think of like, you know, some guy on TV and his wife who's got pink hair, you know, and, she, and all that. And, and you say, well, man, I don't want to be anything like that. And I wouldn't blame you. Um, but the thing is this. An evangelist is someone who simply shares about an experience that they've had. They share about a, 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 an evangelist in the biblical sense is someone who tells the story of what God has done to change their lives. I know it's come to mean in our culture someone who's like a shady salesman. But in essence, what the Bible talks about is someone who simply says, God's changed my life. Now let me tell you what happened. Now, here's what some of my friends call me. I have one friend who uh, calls me a Mac evangelist. And that is, I'm, I'm like a big fan of Apple computers, just because I like computers that work. It's just a little weird thing that I have. And so, um, 
I, I have this, I'm this fan, a big fan of, of Apple computers, and so every time that someone calls me and I ask them how they're doing, and they say, man, I'm having all kinds of computer trouble, and then they tell me about like their PC, and I'm like, well, there's your problem. And I tell them, and they say, well, you know, the Mac, this and that, and then I tell them about how I used to, ha- I used to be a PC user, and my life was miserable, and it was crashing all the time. But then I bought a Mac. Then I bought a Mac. My life changed. My documents are now saved. I was unsaved before. My documents were all unsaved. Now they're saved, uh, just like the Bible says. And, uh, and so I, tell, I, I go into this whole thing. And, and here's the funny part is that I have this one friend. He's recently converted. Uh, he just bought a Mac. He, actually, he, he's like, he went all the way. He's like a fanatic now. He bought a Mac. He bought an iPhone. I mean, you know, he's going to get like an Apple tattoo pretty soon. Um, but anyway, so what happens is, is that I've been talking to him about getting one forever. And here's what it took. This is the funny part. Um, it took me taking him to the Apple Store. And once he was able to go into the Apple Store and experience it for himself, man, everything began to change. He's like, man, this seems like something I could use. And you're saying these don't crash? That's what I'm saying. You're saying these don't get viruses? That's what I'm saying. You're saying these things work all the time? That's what I'm saying. And so we go into this whole thing. And, and, here's the, and this is why it's so important. When you tell your story, you have the opportunity to grow. Because this is the biggest fear that everybody has when, when they say, well, I'm going to tell them the story of how Jesus has changed my life, right? And people say, well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know? And this is what I tell you. You may want to write this down. You just write three words. This is how you answer. I don't know. You say, well, that seems too easy. I know. See, that answer I know. But if I didn't know, I would just say, I don't know. And they say, oh, okay. And I say, I don't know. But if you want, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll ask somebody. I'll get you an answer. That's how, I'm telling you, when I was young in my faith and I didn't know a lot, I would talk to people about how Jesus had changed my life. And they'd say, well, what about this? And I'd say, man, I don't know about that. What about the dinosaurs? I don't know. I wasn't there back then. Were you? No, you neither, huh? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I can find out. There's this old guy at church. I'll ask him. He may have been around back then. Uh, you know, and, and I'm telling you, you just you start doing that and you say, well, uh, maybe that didn't mean well, that didn't matter all that much. And so what happens is, is that you start doing And so but the cool thing is this. You, you share something about your faith. They ask you a question. You don't know the answer. You say, hey, can I get back to you? And then you go find an answer. You tell them. And here's what happens. You've now learned something. You've now learned something in the exchange you didn't know before that you probably wouldn't have known or even asked the question about had you not been involved. And that's why it's so important. You see, that's one of the things why, uh, you know, one of the reasons why, like, you got some invite cards in, in your program about this new series that we're doing uh, called The End of the World as We Know It, as we go through the book of Revelation. And here's the thing that's so, that's so huge, is that one of the reasons why we encourage you so much to invite your friends um, is because, just like my friend going to the Apple store, you might share with them everything that you know, and they say, well, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to make that decision to follow Jesus. You say, well, how about this? This is an easy decision. Why don't you come to church with me? Oh, I can do that. And then as you do, here's what happens. You make that decision, they come with you, and through the experience, they say, man, these people seem pretty normal for the most part. I mean, there's that one guy, but he's all right, we'll give you a mulligan there. But that seemed pretty normal. I mean, the music was pretty good, and the teaching, that guy's not too bad. And you kind of go through there. I'm telling you, you don't realize this. Now, one of the things that we do, you may not realize this unless you're, you're a little newer, but um, when someone's here for the first time, and if they write something on their connection card, if they write like their email or whatever, most of the time I'll send them an email that says, hey, thanks so much for being here. And I, that's one of the things that, say, what is Bob doing Sunday afternoon? Usually I'm writing cards and 
uh, thank you cards, and I'm, and I'm sending emails to people uh, that show up for the first time. But one of the things that I always put in there is we have this little survey that I ask people to fill out. Not everybody does, but I ask them, say, hey, would you just take, like, it'll take you, like, 30 to 60 seconds to fill this out, and it would really help me if you did this as we plan and prayer, you know, pray and make changes and all that. And so a lot of times people do. And so I just pulled a couple that I got this week, and here's what it says. This is why it's so important. Check this out. And here's, it's, it's five questions that we ask. How did you hear about Calvary Fellowship? What did you notice first? What did you like best? What was your overall impression, and how can we pray for you? Those are, these are five questions. So check this out. Now I'm going to go through all these. How did you hear about Calvary Fellowship? My best friend. That's one. This is one we, that's one we got this week. How did you hear about Calvary Fellowship? Through a friend. How did you hear about Calvary Fellowship? My friend. Uh, how did you hear about Calvary Fellowship? Um, a person I know. Uh, how did we hear about Calvary Fellowship? By a friend of mine. Um, and I'm telling you, every single person by a friend, what did you notice first? The amount of young people that attend. That's a good thing. Um, what did you notice first? The van, they're great. What did you notice first? Uh, the signs all around leading to the building, so yay for our graphics department. Um, uh, what did you notice first? Uh, a person waiting to give me, uh, to give me a program that, uh, with a smile. That's great, great to all of our servants. What did you notice first? Um, I noticed how happy everyone was. Okay, here's another one. What did you like best? Uh, I liked the music, the members, and the easygoing atmosphere. I felt very comfortable. Uh, what did you like best? I liked the relaxed environment. What did you like best? The friendly greeting I received. What did you like best? Uh, I liked the worship and my, the ch- my daughter liked the children's ministry. Um, what did you like best? Um, the inspirational music uh, and preaching that I can, that I can relate to. Um, and then overall impression, I loved it. Overall impression, I'm so glad I came. Overall impression, uh, there's friendly and dedicated people doing God's work. Uh, overall impression, A1, I guess they like steak sauce. Um, uh, overall impression, I, I loved it that I could found a church that I can call home. And here's the thing. I, I don't know if you, you noticed this, but this is the thing that's so amazing to me. These are just a few, these are just a few that, I got this, that we got this week. And I, just, and I just printed them off this morning and said, you know what, let, let, me, let me read some of these. And here's the thing that's so amazing to me. What does it tell you? I mean, I, I learned three things from this. Um, well, four maybe, but three, three for sure. One is that people love the music here. That people that, that come, they, they love the music here, which I'm glad because I do too. Um, the other is this, is that everyone that comes here is invited by a friend. You say, well, what's the third one? Nobody puts they like the preaching best. That's weird. Uh, I guess that's the other thing. Um, but, here, but the thing is, and this is the thing that's so amazing to me, that so many times people make decisions to follow Jesus and you say, well, what happened? Well, someone invited me. I, I wasn't able to make the big step, but I was able to maybe come into this environment and think it through for myself. And listen, that makes all the difference. And that's why we gave you these invites. And I just really want to encourage you if you say, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to invite some friends to come with me. They may not say, oh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus right here in the break room. But you know what? They'll probably, if you give them an invite card, say, hey, this is something that interests me. I'd be interested in going to hear this. I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about this. And worse, you know, especially if they say, well, I'm not really sure. And you say this, I'll buy you lunch after. They're there. Because no one can say no to a free lunch. Uh, and so... But that's really the key, and that's why what we don't realize is that this is part of what fuels our faith, because we walk into every situation asking ourselves the question, how does God want to use me in this situation that I'm walking into? 
God's word fuels my faith. God's mission fuels my faith. Here's the third one. God's promises fuel my faith. And uh, here, here's what Paul says. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. You see, God's promises, here's what I mean. As I told you, we were at Disney this week, right? And uh, we, we walk in, uh, we go to the animal kingdom, and uh, you know if you walk into the animal kingdom, there's like, a couple, there's like this shop right on the side before you walk in. Um, my daughter sees this Donald Duck cup, and so she's so excited about the Donald Duck cup, she pulls off the Donald Duck cup from the shelf, and she just starts hugging it. And she says, Donald, hug? And I'm like, well, Mama, if we go in, we'll maybe be able to see Donald Duck. And she's like, but she doesn't want to leave the little store. And she's like, no, Donald, hug. And I'm like, well, Mama, if you just leave, we might be able to see Donald Duck himself. And I mean, it's like 10 minutes of this before she finally understands that, A, I'm bigger than her, and B, that she's just got to put down the cup and and, and walk away. And I'm telling you, it's like she's glad that she did. And even though it took a few minutes, and even I mean, it didn't happen all right at once, but as, as she took a few steps, she saw this soon enough. She gets to hug Donald Duck, and she was so excited to meet Donald Duck. I mean, it was, it was like the greatest thing ever for him um, and for her. And, and yet here's the thing that happens. This is what's so important, is that sometimes, sometimes, God will give us a promise. And yet what it takes is us letting go of something else, letting go of the cup, so to speak. And, and if we don't really believe, because really what it came down to for my daughter to let go of the cup was for her to believe that I'm good, that, that, I, that I'm good in the sense that I, 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 I have her best in mind. And that if she'll let go of the cup, that, that Boppy will give her something that's even better than the cup. And yet here's what takes place, is that sometimes in your life and in mine, we have the struggle. And the struggle is, am I willing to let go of what I have Trust in God's promise, even if it doesn't happen right now, for the purpose of experiencing what God really wants me to experience. See, the Bible says this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, no eye is seen, nor ear is heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. You see, the good that God has planned for you, you haven't even thought of it. Our minds can't even conceive how good God is and how good God wants to be in your life and in mine. But see, those promises many times are contingent on our obedience. That's why all throughout the Old Testament, it's like essentially this statement. If you will, then I will. And over and over it says, but if you don't, then I won't. And over and over there's these promises. Some of them are unconditional and some of them are conditional based on our obedience. But, and sometimes we've got to let go of the cup. Sometimes, um, I mean, this could be something like a relationship that we know is not perfect. We know it's not exactly what God wants me to be involved in, but I don't know. Can I trust him that he's going to bring the right person at the right time in the right way? I mean, it could be a decision that we want to make that we know isn't quite right, but I mean, it's maybe the best available one. And I'm not sure if it's exactly what God wants me to do, but am I willing to let go of the cup and maybe embrace the unknown for a moment for us to see where it is that God wants to lead us? And here's the thing that happens. 
Most of the time, we don't let go of the cup. We don't let go of that thing. And then all of it happens all at once. Like, I let go, and then Donald Duck is right there to hug us. No, instead, a lot of times it happens just like my daughter. I've got to let it go, and I've got to take some steps. And for her, she's got to take a lot of steps, because it was pretty far. But she was never going to get there standing where she was standing. We're never going to get to where we're going to be if we don't let go of certain things and say, I'm going to trust that God is really good. I'm going to trust that God really wants me, that God really wants the very, very best for me. He really, really has better for me than I have for myself. And sometimes that takes a little bit of sacrifice on the front end to really experience the blessing on the back end. And that's why Paul says this. That's why he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. What does that mean? The drink offering in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus was an offering that was done for the purpose of showing God that it was like you had this vessel and then you emptied it. It was showing God I'm emptying myself in my service, in service to you. And that, that's what happens. And that's this symbolic act saying, God, I'm serving you and I'm emptying myself for the purpose of you being glorified and me being able to know you more. You see, and that's what kept Paul's faith going. Even at this, as he's facing losing his life, he says, you know what? I'm being poured out like a drink offering, but I don't care because I've kept the faith and I'm finishing the race. I'm doing what it is that God wants me to do. How does a person do that? How does a person hold on to that? Because they realize that holding on to God's promises continues to fuel their faith. And the thing, the, the, what we do for God, he doesn't forget. Can I tell you this? That God is keeping excellent records of whatever it is that you and I do for him. The Bible says this, that if you give a little kid a cup of water, that you won't lose your reward. And if giving a little kid a cup of water gets a reward, then anything else, even greater than that that we do, isn't gonna, God's not going to forget that either. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. He says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget, to, uh, not forget how hard you've worked for him. And how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not be spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Do you see the connection that he makes? He says, keep on doing what's right. Because as you do, you're going to continue to grow in your faith. And that's the connect. He says, if you continue to serve, continue to do what's right, you're going to continue to grow in your faith. Ask the hundreds of people in this church who serve in some capacity, and you know what they'll tell you? That beginning to serve was one of the greatest decisions that they made. Why? Because they realize that it fuels their faith. Because they say, well, how does blessing someone else fuel me? Because the thing is, is that when you bless somebody else, you're the one who's blessed to an even greater degree. Well, Paul goes on. In the last section, and he says this, this is the end of the book, but here's how he ends it. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have left in Ephesus. Bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Now you also must beware of him, for he's greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. 
But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come to me before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Here's, here's the fourth ingredient. God's people fuel my faith. God's people fuel my faith. At the end of his life, you know what Paul wants? His friends. He wants his friends. He knows that he's not going to be there for long, but you know what he also understands? Is that a person can't be fueled alone. You see, maybe you haven't realized this, and um, those of you that are going to barbecue or something tonight uh, for the Super Bowl, can I just encourage you to do this, maybe as a little experiment from the message? You know, you get your charcoal together, those of you that are like charcoal people. Um, Christians are a lot like charcoal because we can't stay warm all by ourselves. What you do, and you tend to do this, you do this kind of just intuitively, when you get coals, you just keep trying to put them together. And the, because you know the closer that they stay together, the more flame, the more fuel is going to be created. But you just take one coal and you put it by itself. Listen, it's not going to stay warm for very long. That's why. If you pick up any book on discipleship or spiritual growth, you know what you're going to find? All four of these ingredients saying that this is what it takes to really uh, live a life uh, that's fueled. It's going to take all four of these ingredients to live the kind of spiritual life that God wants you to live. That you're committing yourself to growing in God's word. That you're sharing what God's done in your life with God's mission. That you're surrounding yourself with God's people. And you're reminding yourself of God's promises as you're involved in service, knowing that he's going to reward you. And the thing about these four ingredients is that you can't like double up on one and neglect the others. It involves all four of them so that we can have a really balanced and healthy spiritual life. So here's where I want to challenge you, if I can, in the last moments that we have. Is that you have a connection card, and on the back of it, there's an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to take a step in one of these areas or all four of these areas. It could be that you say, you know what? I do want to grow in God's Word. Can I just encourage you? Listen, get into a growth group. I mean, like... Read it and say, I'm going to look at this catalog. I'm going to find out which group, which night works for me, and I'm going to do it. God's promises, man, I'm going to get involved in serving in some capacity. Check that off, and we'll, we'll get in touch with you, and we'll see what we can do as we can work out something in your schedule that, that, that makes sense. You say, man, I want to be involved in God's mission and reaching out. Then Can I just encourage you? Where it says invite three people to the end of the world as we know it series, you do that, and I'm going to email you some tips that might make it a little easier for you to do that. You say, man... And God's people. That involves being here. That involves uh, getting into a group. You say, man, I, I do want to grow in that way. And, and I want to read God's word. If you um, check off, read through the Bible in a year, we'll email you a reading plan that will get you through the Bible, um, you know, from now until January 31st uh, of, of next year. And you can you say, hey, man, I've read through the entire Bible in a year. That's a, that's a great accomplishment. But I want to read this passage to you as we close. Here's what it says. Now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, 
You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. You see, here's what it comes down to. Are you going to coast or are you going to add some fuel to your faith? Coasting will only get you so far. But you add fuel to your faith and here's what it's going to do. It's going to get you to where God ultimately wants you to be and where you yourself ultimately want you to be. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for the fact that you give us the tools to fuel our faith. We thank you that you give us your spirit who encourages us, and we thank you for your word that directs us. God, now just give us the desire and the boldness, the courage to be able to take the step to be where it is that you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.